Welcome to Wild Ideas Worth Living. This is a podcast where we talk to experts who have taken a wild idea and made it a reality. From sailing around the world to launching a thriving business or just standing up for what you believe in, some of the wildest ideas can lead to the most rewarding adventures. With your host, journalist Shelby Stanger. Welcome to the first episode of Wild Ideas Worth Living. This episode is brought to you by Graced by Grit. The women's fitness company was founded to help empower women cultivate their grit to find their grace. I love their name and I love their yoga and running pants. Not only do they make my booty look good, which is always important, but they offer classic styles and flattering fits made from the highest quality materials. They always look good on. Go to gracedbygrit.com and check them out. And when you enter the code WILDIDEAS, you'll get 20% off your first order. This episode was also brought to you by Surf Diva. The original all-women's surf school has been teaching group, private, all-women, and co-ed lessons at their stunning San Diego location for over 20 years. I've taught surf lessons there for years and seen hundreds of men and women come through, learn to ride waves, and it literally changes their lives. Go to surfdiva.com or give them a call. And when you book a lesson in San Diego and mention this show or the code WILDIDEAS, you'll get a $10 gift card to use towards your next lesson or in their store. Our first guest is Steph Jagger. She is an amazing woman who basically quit her job a few years ago because she just wanted more in life. And when she did it, she skied around the world and she broke a record along the way and fell in love with an amazing man, now her husband. She signed a book deal not too long afterwards and this book comes up and out in a few months um, the Prime Minister's wife of Canada just said it was an incredible story. And Steph Jagger is basically going to be a name that you recognize on your bookshelf. I love her story because she didn't hit her bottom when she decided to completely revamp her entire life. And on the show, she's going to talk a lot about why starting lines are more important than finish lines, as well as what it's like to ski around the world and fall in love along the way. She's really funny. She doesn't hold back. Her book is called Unbound. Without further ado, Steph Jagger, welcome to the show. Yo, 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 Shelby. <laughs> I'm so happy to be here. We're so happy to have you. So you have this great big badass book about to launch to the world. It's called Unbound, but I don't want to give too much away. So can you, I've read it, by the way. It, it made me laugh out loud. <laughs> um, I know the characters really well. Can you give us a brief rundown? For sure. Absolutely. So brief rundown is I'll give like the backdrop of the book, which is, of course, what you said about the skiing around the world. So essentially, the story takes place with me as, you know, privileged white girl growing up in Vancouver, Canada, um, you know, had a good life, but not great. And I really wanted great. And so I quit everything, sold all my stuff and decided to do my three favorite things in search of great. And that was to travel, to write, and to ski. And I just took off and went around the world. And so the book is really about that journey. And the backdrop is the mountains and the places and the people that I met and all of that kind of stuff. The real deal, though, of the book is really how I discovered who I was as a woman. Um, you know, there's gorgeous places and cool people that I met. But I think that's, you know, that's the nature of the story is... How did I find out who I was? What I like about the book is you have this incredible sense of humor. You're not afraid to say who you are. You know, you say that you're a privileged <laughs> white girl in Canada. And what's really interesting is most people who go on an incredible journey like skiing, how, how many feet did you end up skiing? 
I skied. That's a great question. I skied 4.16 million and change, close to 4.2 million. So it's to, to break it down for people who don't know vertical feet, which a lot of people don't, it's about the equivalent of skiing Everest from summit to sea level, not just a base camp, about... 150 times 150 times and how long was this journey that's incredible <laughs> and even i laugh at it yeah um so so tell me how many months this took it was it was a 10 month journey and with all the travel involved i think there was probably eight months of skiing available in the, in those 10 months something like that that's a lot of snow a lot of skiing a lot of um tight ski boots on your feet oh that's something i wish not to be reminded of <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> so what I think is so incredible about this journey is when people decide to do something wild, a lot of times they've hit their bottom. You weren't necessarily at your bottom. You just weren't, I think, living to your full potential. I, I don't know what it was, but can you talk about that? Because Absolutely. This is something I love talking awesome. about. I love talking about this. So I think you're right. I think people wait until they're broken. They wait until an accident happens. They wait until a disease afflicts them or their family. Um, and some people don't wait. I mean, th th things happen to them in their lives. Um, and I'm a pretty big advocate that if, if, if boredom and discontent and dissatisfaction start kind of creeping into your life, um, I don't think we should wait. Um, my, my editor and I have a, have a hashtag joke, uh, hashtag boredom is enough. Um, that, that this is something that I think is a really important message. Um, I, I just, especially I get fired up about this because in female written memoir, there's a lot of those stories of, of women who are broken and women who go on in, in search of themselves and, and re redefining and recreating their lives. And we need those stories big time. We need to understand that when our lives fall apart, because sometimes they do, we need to know how to pick up the pieces. We also need to know how to go from good to great and how to go from great to absolutely freaking stupendous. And we need that as part of our female narrative. I, I think we need both of those. And the thought that a woman's strength is dependent on her first being broken is a faulty narrative. Agree. That's and so I think it's just a huge, huge part of this that I was I was bored, I was a little dissatisfied, and and to me, that was enough. So so let's go back a minute. You had this idea and you're bored. And I remember at one point you told me you were skiing with friends in Whistler and you saw this sign. Yeah. And it said lift the restraining device, which which literally is the chairlift that says lift the restraining device or you're gonna get stuck in the chairlift all day. But you took that as a sign, like a literal sign from the universe, woo-woo, but it was a sign. Absolutely. So tell me about this restraining device. And, and let's just talk about this. Why did this restraining device, how, how did this sign lead you to shattering a Guinness Book of World Record and trying to be <laughs> next to the guy with the longest fingernails? Yeah, in that book. Or the, the band with the biggest kazoo players or whatever. Um, you know, I, I was on the chairlift. I was having an epic day skiing with some friends. And how, how old were you at the time? I was, good question, 27, 28 okay. at the time. Um, and, and in the middle of the chairlift, I, I blurted the idea out. I said, you know, like, oh, wouldn't it be great to do this for a year, like to ski around the world? And, and, and when I blurted the idea out, it automatically, I was like, oh, shoot, I, that was really stupid. I probably shouldn't have said that. And, and all of my buddies on the chairlift were like, 
you know, they shot it down. They're like, you got a mortgage, you got a job, like you're not a good enough skier. Like, where are you going to get the money, Jagger? Like, it was just, it, and everyone was really laughing and, and myself included. And then we got to the top of the chairlift. And, and as you said, you know, for people who, um, who, who, who ski, they'll know the restraining device signs. And for people who don't, it's, it's basically the safety bar that comes down when you get on the chair and then you got to raise it up again when you get off. So we got to the top of the lift and I saw the sign and it was, you know, it was a cheesy Oprah kind of aha moment, like a bolt from the blue. Um, but I think those are the signs that we need to look for when we are bored and discontent because that's when they'll come in. So uh, how did that lead me, me to ski around the world? Well, I guess I just got off the chairlift and thought, what's my restraining device? What's holding me back? Is it is it the job? Is it the mortgage? Is is it that I'm not a good enough skier? Should I take a few, you know, lessons? Should I learn some, you know, avi skills? You know, what is it that's holding me back? And if I can identify those things and, and one by one raise them, like, could I really do this? So that, <laughs> I love this, but you weren't a professional skier. You had a mortgage. You had a job. I mean, we have, I have so many wild ideas that come in my head every day. So what about this one idea hooked you in? Like what, what made this stick? I guess it was maybe louder than any of the other ideas. So, so that was probably one reason. Um, and I can remember one moment, you know, I wavered for a while, you know, do I do this? Do I do this on my own? Do I do this with somebody else? How much money is this going to cost me? Like what, what, how do I do this? And I wavered back and forth. And, and, and one day I was out with a girlfriend and, and I guess she hadn't heard me talk about the idea for a while. And she turned to me and she said, you know, if you didn't do this, would you regret it? And I, mm. it was obvious. It just, yes, yes, I would. And she said, well, I think you got your answer then. That's a good friend. <laughs> yes, yes. And she's still a very, very dear friend and she's a killer skier. And um, yeah, so I'm, I was really grateful for that moment. So you started how? Um, I st the trip or, or, or the, 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 the preparation. Trip. So the trip, I started July 2010 and I got on a plane and flew down to Santiago, Chile and uh, got off of a plane. And, and my first stop was a, a place called Portillo. Um, great resort and kind of like dirty dancing and club mad. That part's in the book, I think, mixed together. Yeah, that's pretty hot. Um, yeah, it was, it was pretty epic. And, and that's how I started. It was, um, you know, a, a, about a year of a year, year and a half of prep, um, physical training, financial saving, you know, a whole bunch of stuff before I left. Um, so, so wait, let's talk about that prep. Cause how yeah. much prep did you really have to do? And when you left, did you still have some, you had to have some answers just completely unanswered. Like you didn't know what was going to happen. For sure. And you still went. That's a big, big part of it. For sure. Yeah. I mean, you can't, you, I mean, I, I'm a pretty big planner. I, I think that's one of the lessons that I learned though was, you know, you can plan the backbone, but it's probably best not to plan out all the fleshy parts of everything because mostly for me and the trip that I took because of weather, you know, that really kind of messed with some of my plans. But um, you know, yeah, planned financially, planned how much skiing I wanted to do, um, planned breaks for myself because I knew, you know, that was going to be important from like just a physical recovery standpoint. Um, you know, had to plan, I <laughs> planned a, a lot of different things. And of course the physical preparation as well. Like I'm not a pro athlete. This isn't, you know, I had to do my squats. <laughs> before so is that, that. <laughs> is that what you did? You hired a trainer? And yep. 
Yeah. He got you doing squats. Yeah. He got me doing squats and Bulgarian deadlifts and all that stuff that I don't really do anymore. <laughs> so I'm looking at Steph Jagger. She's really like medium build. She's not like a huge, her legs are normal size and she broke a record, smashed a record. Um, so it's just quite remarkable. Were your jeans tight at least when you were doing these squats? Every they were, day? They, they, my, my thighs were bigger and my waist was smaller at that point. Let's put it that way. Wow. So on the way, it was, it was really one hell of a journey. I love, I love the part in the book where you just describe the places you went. Mm. Um, can you just share some of your favorite moments? I know there's probably a million favorite moments. Just some of your favorite moments with us. Either take us to New Zealand. Maybe actually share with us first some of the worst moments of the trip. Yeah, speaking those of are the New ones Zealand. <laughs> that define exactly. Yeah, I think, you know, New Zealand was was really tough on me, I think, for a variety of different reasons. Um, I think I had built New Zealand up in my head as like the place that was going to be the easiest for me, mostly because of the language. Um, that was going to be one of the only places I was going where English was spoken. Before I got back you to speak the, Canadian, right, right. Um, before I got back to to the the North America, so that was I built it up in my head. I think when I got there, I was pretty travel weary, um, and the way that I had things planned out, there was a lot of movement. So, so New Zealand for me was you know six months at the end of the season, which means a lot of rain six months with a lot of rain in a, in a rental car on your own on, on dusty, you know, watered out, rivered out roads. It was, it was exhausting for me, I think mentally, physically, spiritually, and, and the opposite of really what I thought my experience was going to be. And then, you know, I don't know how much you or, or your listeners pay attention to or, or have heard about the hero's journey. Um, but I think this story follows through that, that story arc in a, in a, pretty clear way and you know that was that was the the breakdown that was you know the dark night of the soul that was um i think what needed to happen for me even though i wasn't broken before i left on the trip i needed to break myself apart a little bit in order to discover more of who i am and and that was really the beginning of that um so there were some tough days in new zealand and and some um, you know, adult temper tantrums in parking lots and some tears here and there. Um, that said, New Zealand is a stunning, I mean, you've been there. It's a stunning yes. country. I mean, just mm. absolutely beautiful. I, I also went to the time just after those really, really bad um, Christchurch earthquakes. So there was a lot of people kind of holed up and doing their own kind of recovery and that sort of thing. So um, it was an interesting time to be there. But beautiful country my experience in it was not as beautiful but looking back you know there was a reason for that and where were some of um your more memorable moments on the positive on the positive side of things i I will never forget uh, argentina um that was a place that i that i spoiler spoiler alert met the man that i'm now married to um and, and the reason that i'm in san diego um so that that i'll never forget um I also think Japan, the snow is just like nothing else on earth. So that was, you know, extraordinary skiing for me. Um, and, and other places that stand out in my mind from a skiing perspective, you know, Jackson Hole is amazing. Um, Alta in Utah is killer. Um, Whistler Blackcomb is where I'm from. You know, that that's a standout for me. And I think, I think my time in the Alps for me was memorable 
not because the skiing was amazing. I had really bad snow when I was in the Alps, but I think just from a spiritual perspective, that that for me was a big turnaround point. Um, and so I, I felt like I was really seeing myself in the mountains. When it's, they, they were almost like a mirror to me when I was there. So that, that'll always stand out in my mind as a pretty um, memorable and poignant time in my life and, and in, on the trip. I love how the sport, <clears throat> the sport of skiing just provides such a good metaphor in life. Um, and, and I'd love for you to talk to me more about skiing, mostly because I'm, I'm a surfer, not really a snow person. So why skiing? What about the sport lured you in and, and just hooked you and became this, this sport that really helped you transform your life? Yeah. Yeah. That's a great question. I, I think skiing that the way I was ultimately kind of lured into the sport or, or introduced to the sport, you know, circles right back to my family. You know, it was the direct route to my father's heart. And that's exactly where I wanted to go as, as a, as a little girl and a young woman. And so, you know, that was one of the reasons for sure. Ultimately though, and you'll know this as a surfer, um, skiing to me became and still is freedom. You know, that's when I feel the most alive, the most connected, the most tuned in, uh, the most myself. Uh, and, and there's a the speed of it, the exhilaration of it, you know, when you feel like you're, as I'm sure you feel when you, you know, catch a big wave and are riding in it. It's like, it's magic. It's magic. So I, I think the freedom of it is what, what has kept me you know, as in love with it as, as when I was younger. And you talk about it at such like this beautiful high level. And I'm just going to take it down to the fact that you were also in a sport traveling around the world, a single hot chick in mountain towns where there's, <laughs> there's not a lot of girls. You're bound to meet some guys. Can you just tell us a little bit about being a female <laughs> traveling around the world, especially in mountain towns? Because I, I did that for a little year. I just want to know what it was like for you. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you know, I'll, I'll tell my husband to tune out of the podcast at this point. But yeah, I mean, there was a, I met a lot of uh, killer, killer guys, amazing guys, some of whom I'm still friends with today. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, what what else can I say? Like, they're hot, they're rad, they're adventurous. They, you know, you want to... I actually think that was such a huge part of when I was skiing when I was younger you know, I was mostly with guys. And, and as you'll, you know, I, I won't tell this part of the story, but that's it, in the book. Um, I think that was a benefit to me. And also in the long run, maybe a little bit of a drawback um, in, in discovering and understanding who I was and who I, who I was going to be in the world and how I was going to measure my success or how people viewed me. Um, but yeah, I mean, if you're a single girl and, and you want to meet some guys, you know, go to a mountain town for sure. <laughs> <laughs> or just go break a record and you might meet your husband along the way. That's right. But also just traveling. Traveling is so beneficial for everybody. And I know you're a huge proponent of travel. What are some lessons you learned while traveling? And what what are some things that you would recommend to anyone who's looking to travel around the globe, wants to, is scared, or is just going? Like what should they do, shouldn't do? Oh, that's, that's a couple questions. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. There's like there's 20 in there. Okay, so um, what what do I? What's my advice? What did I learn? First, what do you like about traveling? 
what well, does it do for you? Yeah, I mean, try, you know, obviously there, there's a lot of things like you, you know, new things and new food and new people, and it's you know, it's an adventure and it's out of the norm. And I, you know, I've I've always liked that. Some people don't like that kind of newness, but I, I like that. Um, I think for me, um, traveling traveling has been so refreshing because I think what it allows us to do is it allows us to pick up a bunch of bags and drop our other baggage at the door. Our roles are, you know, if you're a sister or you're, you know, so-and-so's daughter or you're, you know, this is who you were all throughout high school or university. Like it allows us to drop all of that because you can be whoever you want when you meet you know, so-and-so across the bar at Jackson Hole, or you can, you know, you can be really, you can try on all the different variations of, of yourself and see which one fits the best. And you can leave all those other roles kind of behind. I think that's one of the reasons that when we travel, and this has been my experience, that some of the people I meet when I travel know me better than people I've known for 20, 30 years. Because they're meeting a real kind of boiled down essence of me and, and all the other stuff and expectations. And that's all left, you know, at the airport. So that to me has been one of the biggest gifts of travel. Um, and I've done a lot of travel. I've done, I've done a little bit with other people, but I've done a lot on my own. And so that's been a, that's been a big one. What is my advice? Um, I guess for solo female travelers, you know, tune into your intuition you know, people talk about street smarts and people talk about safety. I've been very lucky. I've been, you know, I've never been robbed traveling. I've never been hurt or assaulted. I've never, but I think that's also because, you know, I, I'm a pretty keen observer and I'm paying attention and I'm really listening to my intuition. You know, if I'm in a town and it's starting to get dark and I don't feel so good about it, like I'm checking into a hotel, even if it's, you know, above my budget or whatever, like I'm really listening to that and tuning in. So that would be it. That would be a big one. Um, I don't know. I mean, it's tra- traveling such a individual experience for people. Um, but, but I think that what I, what I said initially is, you know, it's a real education of self. And, and I think that's a pretty critical part of, you know, being a human being in the world. <laughs> I love that. And um, as far as, you know, for so many people, traveling is so much preparation and what to take and what mm-hmm. not to take. Do you have kind of rules you stick to about what you take on the road and what you don't take on the road? Well, packing wise, I always show up and people are like, that's all you're bringing. I don't bring a lot of stuff. Um, you know, emergency stuff. I- I've got a credit card just in case, you know, but ultimately I, I mean, you know, winter travel and summer travel are a lot different. I mean, I had to bring a lot more stuff for the ski trip than I ever have on any other trip, but which was a bit of a pain, but, um, I don't bring a lot. I bring um I bring a thing of lip balm or polysporin to put in my nose when I'm on airplanes because I don't I think like ooh I'm gonna be like immersed in people's germs for so long. So so if you see me uh, on an airplane rubbing polysporin up my nose, you know what's going on. Awesome. That's really like the only you know tried and true uh, thing that I always make sure I bring when I'm traveling. <laughs> like not not extra underwear, extra socks. Now you can always buy that there or. I mean, you know, I pack a week's worth of underwear and, you know, wash it in hotel sinks if I need to. Oh, and that's awesome. Yeah, I'm pretty, so pretty minimal. I wear mostly, you know, black and gray when I travel and bring a pair of jeans and flip flops and that's it. So how about anything if you're going to travel the world skiing? 
you had to learn a few things about if you're going to ski every day, what to avoid or what to do. Is, is there anything? Certain boots, certain... For skiing, I had one pair of trusty boots, Technica. This is a shout out to Technica. They, you know, I, I, uh, it was, it was amazing. I wore that one pair of ski boots the entire time. Um, from a skiing standpoint, you know, sure, you, you get to know, you know, who to ask to, you know, who does the best ski wax in town? You know, you, you know, to ask the lifty, not somebody at the airport, you know, um, there, there's different things, but I think ultimately it's the same kind of travel rules that I always go with, like, you know, pack minimally, you know, figure out who to, who to talk to. Um, you, you might want to know where a decent place to get a massage is. Um, for me, a lot of it was rest and recovery. Like, I really, there was a lot of nights where I was like, I'd really love to go out and sit at the bar right now, but it's probably a good idea for me to go home and have a big hibernation of a sleep. So I'm, you know, decently energized for the morning. So there was, there was a fair bit of balance for that. Um, and, and weather reports, <laughs> I mean, that was a big, that was a huge part of it was, you know, watching, especially in the places that I went that were, were kind of closer to the ends of the seasons where the snowpack wasn't going to be, you know, you couldn't depend on it so much and you might need to move around pretty quickly to get some decent skiing in, you know, those weather reports became pretty crucial, but. So I have a question about, you talk a lot about starting lines, but to finish and finish breaking this record, it took a lot of perseverance. What was it like the day you, you broke the record? I, I, I love this because so many people, I think, think of finish lines as, as the times that are going to change their lives. And that's not been my experience. Like I was really tired. I was on my own. I, I think that day was super, super foggy. I couldn't see two feet in front of me. You know, it was one of the more miserable days on the on the hill, actually. It was the midweek. So, you know, none of my friends were there. Nobody was there to, you know, celebrate or, or, or do anything. And I, I think it's one of those things that's that's like what meaning are you going to make of this? You know, this isn't, this isn't, you don't cross a finish line and then, and then all of a sudden, you know, everything shifts. You don't finish writing a book and you hand it in and the next day, like you're crowned, you know, the goddess of writing or whatever. That's, that's not been my experience. So, so what I've learned to do is to understand that, that more of it is about the whole journey and how much you're able to enjoy every day of it. And probably for me, you know, you and I have talked about this before is, is, is part of the critical part of this is starting lines is really, you know, when you're bored, when you're discontent, when you're dissatisfied, are you listening for what's calling you to a starting line? And that to me is more kind of alluring and, and game changing and life changing than, you know, dragging your limp body across. I love when line. you talk about starting lines. I just think it's <laughs> such a cool... I mean, what's important about starting lines? Let's talk a little bit more about it. I mean, I know it's what you're supposed to do when you're bored, but let's just talk a little bit about it. For sure, for sure. I mean, I think, you know, finishing things is is important. It's a it's a key part of life. And and there's some people who are better than at it than others. Um, if we didn't finish things, I'm pretty convinced that no basement renovation would ever be complete. <laughs> um, but I think 
a, a more important question and something I'm more interested in, in asking people and finding out and, and figuring out for myself is, is, is what are you going to start? And, and, and when you think about starting something, how does it make you feel and how much energy is there and how much fear, anxiety is involved? And what does that tell you about what, if you should do it or you shouldn't do it? Um, you know, I go back all, all the time to, you know, are, are you listening for the things that are, that are calling your name? And, and if you are, what's your reaction to it when, when you hear them? Um, I mean, this, this again goes back to the hero's journey and Joseph Campbell. And I, I could go on and on about that kind of mythology. But, you know, ultimately, I think that's our job is, yes, we should be completing things and finishing things. But, but really, really, truly, are we listening to the right things to like lure us in to this great adventure, which is life? And if we're listening to those, if we're if we're committed to taking responsibility and starting them, you know, our, our lives can change. We can shift from ordinary to extraordinary. That's 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 the name of the game for for me. I'd love to know what you were like as a little kid. <laughs> That's a great question. I was bossy. I think I was bossy. You bossy. Um, I think I I was a social little kid, but I also, you know, I remember times where I would I would go into the closet in my bedroom and and be writing stories and you know playing with My Little Ponies on my own. I needed tons of sleep when I was little. Um, my, you know, my family always says that she didn't take naps. She like hibernated. You know, um. And I think I was, you know, I was a people pleaser. I was the youngest of four. Um, you know, there was a lot of people to live up to and to impress and to, you know, fill the shoes of. Um, but I, I, yeah, you know, happy, you know, privileged little little kid playing kick the can in a in a nice neighborhood. Well, you did a lot with your little kid self, um, <laughs> including you just finished a book. Yeah. Um, which is so awesome. I'm so proud of you because I remember you, you told me, yeah, I'm just going to self-publish it. So Steph Jagger did not just self-publish this little book. It's yeah. being released by HarperCollins. You went, you got a big time agent. Let's talk about writing a book because yeah. writing a book, especially a memoir that you throw, you, you put everything on the kitchen table and, and more. I know I just completely butchered that metaphor. You put everything <laughs> out on the table and yeah, more. Yeah. Um, I was going to say you spread your legs open and literally in your <laughs> story, you do talk a lot about that. So, yeah. so how, how did you, why did you decide to write this book mm. and, and not approach it, um, in this very minimal way, but you just chose to play on a bigger playground and release it to the world in a bigger way? Yeah, absolutely. You know, some of that, I, I honestly don't know if it was choice. Um, I think this goes back to starting lines and callings. Um, this idea for a book kept knocking on the door and just, you know, people would say, oh, you should write a book. My husband would be like, why aren't you write, you know, why aren't you writing a book about this? It just, it kept coming up over and over and over again in my life that, that eventually I just thought like, I have no idea how to write a book, but this won't go away. And it keeps, it keeps coming back. So, okay. Like, how do I write a book? And and the whole thing has been such a wild ride from, you know, the minute that I started writing to when I got an agent and when I sold the book. I mean, you've been with me on this journey and um, I, I get so like kind of lost in it that I don't even remember what your question was. Um, That's okay. Let's just talk about how you started 
You yeah. started, you wrote the book. You actually took a year off and you went, you went to Whistler to write it. Right? Yeah, we, we, um, we rented a place just north of Whistler and I, I spent six months up there <laughs> writing a book. I had no idea what I was doing. Um, I wrote a fair bit when I was traveling. So I had that, that, those drafts, those, those bits of writing to kind of stitch together. Um, I, I worked with a woman at the very beginning part of this process that helped me understand what an outline or story arc of this of this story would look like that was very helpful in regards to you know getting me going and and then you know i've i'm not a surfer and i don't know what this that, that it really feels like i mean i've kind of been on a wave ish kind of on a floating sidewalk sized board but i imagine that the feeling of catching a wave was very much like what i did it was a lot of work, but almost also effortless. Like there just was such a higher calling to it. And that's really the only way that I can describe it. And, and my continual response to that, what once I agreed, you know, was yes, you know, yes, I'll take responsibility for whatever I feel like is calling me forward here. Um, took a while to put together that first draft and, and then it, you know, moved very quickly from there was there ever any doubt or fear you were writing about some really personal things and you did you ever just question should i really release this to the world should i write this should i censor it should i you know did you ever ask yourself these questions yeah i did and but not often i mean i guess one of the gifts i think there was two gifts with that first is the gift of i'm not a writer same as i wasn't a skier like real real naivety at play (laughs) and I think that played well for me because I didn't know what to expect I didn't know what good writing was or bad writing was or how much was too much information or not enough I mean it's just me working in a silo you know with with one editor and and I think my naivety of I have no idea what I'm doing and no idea what's good bad or ugly um really played out well um it was there parts that I feared sharing. No, I think ultimately what it comes down to is when you feel called to to do something of this size or this nature or an adventure like this, I don't think that calling comes from internally. I think it comes from somewhere else. So although this story is about a ski trip that I took and it has my name on it or whatever, and it has everything to do with me, I feel like it also has nothing to do with me. And so, yes, am I sharing about some pretty intimate things in my life? Sure. But does it really feel like me? I, I don't know. It's It feels very separate. It sounds very much like, like Elizabeth Gilbert's book, Big Magic. Sure, sure. Yeah, absolutely. I think there's some I think she's got some brilliant ideas and and concepts in there that that were very much in alignment with what it felt like, uh, what what my creative journey felt like. Well, I think also listeners, she's being very humble. This book is incredibly well written. and It's funny. (laughs) What I like about it is there's a great sense of humor. Yeah, You didn't know you didn't know I was that funny. Well, you are funny, but I didn't know. No, I guess I didn't. In paper, you're hysterical. In person, you're really funny, but on paper, you're hysterical. Um, so I just have a question. I mean, to do the things you do, it does take a lot of determination. Mm-hmm. Um, do you have any routines you stick to every day, like ways you eat? Do you meditate? Oh, that's such a good question. Um, yes and no. So I go in, um, you know, kind of ebbs and flows with this. 
for example, right now, there's not a major goal that's ahead of me, like ski 4 million feet or, you know, write however many words make up a book. So I'm in zero routine, you know, like I eat breakfast every morning. <laughs> that's, that's like one part of the routine. But there's no exercise routine. There's no food routine. There's no meditation routine or prayer routine. There's no ritual. There's, there's nothing. And I get a bit antsy and lost and it's, it's not the best for me. Um, I'm better when I have those goals, but we don't always have them. So when I am, what I'll say, on goal or or on calling, routines form and they're different depending on what the calling is. So, you know, for the ski trip, there was like a routine, obviously, of, you know, skiing every day and, and what goes into that or the training part of it. When I was writing, um, there was certainly a routine of there. I had a particular altar. I had a ritual that I did in the morning. I did three pages of of, of just kind of off the cuff writing before I kind of dove into the work. There was a very kind of structured routine to it. Um, you know, wrote for X Y Z amount of hours. You know, in the day, stopped, ate whatever, had a glass of wine. You know, there was there was a certain routine to it. So it's ebbs and flows uh, depending on on uh, what I'm feeling called to do at the time. Who in, who influences you most in life? Who are your mentors? That's a great question. I, I think my husband is a huge inspiration. Um, I, I'm always inspired by, you know, what he's doing and the determination he has and the things he's overcome. We, we should tell who your husband is. My, yeah, my husband is amazing. His name is Chris Rutgers. He does amazing philanthropic work and works a lot in the outdoors with kids. He's, I could go on and on and on. He's, he's, a, he's a good guy. He's in the book. Everything about him is in the book. He founded a nonprofit <laughs> in San Diego called Outdoor Outreach that takes inner city kids uh, or at-risk youth surfing, skiing, snowboarding, rock climbing, and, you know, they learn, they learn about self-esteem through the outdoors. And it's an incredible program that's now going national. And he's received a lot of awards and he's just a humble guy that's transformed lives. And Steph met him skiing. And yep. I remember when he came up to me and he said, I met a girl. Of course you met a girl on your journey, but it's just really cool. Anyways, keep going. Yeah, Sorry. he's he's a good one. So, so he's uh, he he's a he's a pretty inspiring to me. I think from a creative standpoint, um when I think about other um authors and writers, I mean, you know, you mentioned Liz Gilbert, I'll add Brené Brown, Glennon Doyle Melton, um I mean, I could go on and on about about different authors and stuff that I find inspiring. Danny Shapiro is hugely inspiring. There, there's a lot. Cheryl Strayed, of course, um, big inspiration there. I think I'm constantly pushed and inspired um, by my girlfriends. I have a pretty healthy tribe of amazing women in my life. People who are athletes, people who are professionals, people who are creatives, all different types of women. Um, they, you know, quote unquote, keep it real. You know, they know when to help pump up my ego when I need it and maybe also to when to bring it down <laughs> when I need it. That's very helpful. Um, and then, you know, I do uh, coaching and stuff on the side and, and I find my clients extraordinarily inspiring. You know, what they're trying to overcome, the goals they're trying to achieve, you know, the authenticity they're trying to step into. That's a, that, they're brave, brave people. And I, you know, I, I dig that and I get a lot of motivation and inspiration from them as well. So you just mentioned a, a lot of authors that you love. Can you share just books that you love that you recommend? Oh yeah. Um, 
Okay, so tiny beautiful things. Um, Dear so Sugar good. by Cheryl Strayed. That that's a that's one that's huge. Um, the Glass Castle, Jeanette Wall. Um, North of Normal by C. Uh, Sunrise Person. That's an amazing book. From a um, fictional standpoint, I just read The Bear by Claire Cameron, which was just out of this world. Um, Danny Shapiro's On Writing from a creative standpoint uh, blew my mind. What else? I mean, I could, you know, I could go on and on and on. I, I read probably, you know, three to five books a month. So that's healthy. Yeah. A week. Yeah. That's yeah. Yeah. It's, it's great. It's and a mix of, of course, I've read a, a lot of uh, memoir, female written memoir in the last uh, in the last year. But it's yeah, I'm a big reader. And it's, it's that's that probably is my biggest daily routine. Awesome. And yeah. were you a reader, a big reader before? You? Always, 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 always. You know, when I was a little girl, I remember being lost in like the Babysitter's Club. I, I love the Babysitter's like, Club. What was her name? That like, was the best. Claudia someone or I don't know. The the. But I remember I, this. I, I don't know whether this part was cut out of the book or not. But when I was a little girl, my mom and dad aren't huge readers, but they did have books like on their, you know, nightstand on occasion. And my mom had a book, um, Not Without My Daughter. It was it made into a movie. I think Sally Field was in the movie. I can't remember the author. And I was nine or 10 and I used to sneak into my mom's room, uh, my parents' bedroom to read the book. And I think for me, books were a place, like, I just, it, I was amazed that you could just have this bundle of paper in your hand and like be in another world. And that, blew my mind as a kid and I think I've been you know kind of an obsessed reader ever since I mean that makes a lot of sense because your writing is you write really really well for someone who was never a writer um I can tell you must have read a ton as a kid so what's the best gift you've ever received well, I mean, I'll say life. Uh, I think that's a that's a pretty that's pretty a good pretty, pretty good one. Okay. Um, when I when I finished the major draft of the book, um, my husband Chris gave me a, a piece of art that's a that's a book, and it it's kind of hard to describe. It's it's not a painting, but it's not a sculpture. It's it's a really kind of cool piece of art, and that was very meaningful to me. Um, I don't know to be cheesy like I think feedback is always a gift whether it's positive or negative um even negative feedback yeah for sure I mean negative feedback's a gift because it either tells you a little bit more about the person who's giving it or you know maybe it's valid maybe maybe it's something you should be paying attention to um I love your wedding ring because I know there's a story behind it um it's from wood from a tree from where you met Possibly? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. So um, Chris and I met in Argentina, in, in Patagonia, and, and really developed a relationship and kind of fell for each other in this one particular place. Um, and, and all of that's detailed out in the book, the like fancy schmancy romantic, you know, part of it. Um, and when I moved to San Diego, when I finished the trip, I was here for about a year. We, we decided to get married we had to get married quite quickly because of immigration stuff, actually, um, to be frank, although we wanted to be life partners and we were in love. And but the the marriage and the decision to marry uh, and the subsequent you know vows was, was quite quick. 
And when we decided to get married, Chris said, you know, come on down to the garage. And I was like, no, like we should get some champagne. Like we just, <laughs> we just decided to get married. Like we should celebrate. Come to the garage. And we had this kind of bickering back and forth. I said, fine, I'll like go to the garage. And so we went to the garage and he pulled out this kind of climbing bag and, and then pulled out this wood from it. I was like, great, fancy piece of wood. And we, you know, let's go get some champagne. And, and he said, you know, I, I, I had the person who, that property that we really kind of like fell in love at, I had them ship up a piece of wood from that property and and I'd like to make our wedding rings out of them. And so that's what we did. So that's a pretty, those have been pretty meaningful as well. He's, you know, he's gone through about three or four of them, but thank goodness he, he hauled up a fair log from Argentina so that we can continually have them made when, when they might have lost one or two in the surf. Yeah, exactly. Um, and, and how you got married, you got married in the courthouse, but you really had this wedding ceremony. It's probably too long of a story to tell the whole thing on the podcast, but I've heard this story and it's, <laughs> it was in the Amazon jungle. Yeah. Can you just give yeah. us a quick highlight? So <laughs> this is, yeah, this is about a three hour story. The, 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 the short answer is we went down to, um, to the Ecuadorian jungle. We searched for a particular tribe down there and, and requested that they marry us. And, and they did. And we had the full, you know, regalia, which is basically a piece of red cloth wrapped around your body. And, and, um, they, it was amazing. They did this whole ceremony and dancing and drinking their jungle tequila or rum or whatever it was all through the night. And, and, and we were down with that, with that family, that tribe and that shaman for five days or so, you know, pretty deep in the, in the jungle and had some pretty, it was rustic. Yes. Yes. Very, very this rustic. Not four seasons, Amazon. No, 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 it wasn't, it wasn't four seasons, Amazon.com. Um, it was, yeah, no running water, no electricity, no outhouses, no, you know, there's nothing. And, and it was a really, you know, transformative time. And, and because the way that we got married so quickly and kind of just on paper and legally, you know, here in the U.S., it was really important for us that we found a way to get married in a spiritual sense that, um, that made sense to us and, and felt resonant with us. And so we went down to the jungle. I love this story just because it, it really tells a lot about who you two are as a couple and as individuals that you would go to this great length to celebrate your love in this incredible, beautiful way. And I'm not going to talk too much about it because I'm hoping there's book two. I think, that that's, Chris's, this, I think that's Chris's book. Well, hopefully think. Chris has this in his book. Chris, yeah. if you're listening, you got to write this in your book. Um, so speaking of books and movies and books that could possibly turn into movies, if there were to be a movie about your life and there was a song in the background, oh. what would that song be? For sure, it would be "Little Bird" by Annie Lennox. Um, that's written in the book. That was a that was a song. I don't even know how I found that song. Um, I've never been like you know a massive diehard Annie Lennox fan, although you know appreciate you know all of the music. Um, but that song I played so often when I was skiing, and often enough. I think I wrote about this in the in the book that I I sang it out loud. Like I would get off the chairlift and people would be like, "Were you singing?" And I was like, "Yeah, I guess so." Um, so that's always been a big one. And Chris calls me that I was now. Say, that's your nickname. Yeah, Chris calls me Bird. So Cute. that's that would for sure be the the song in the background. Well, this has been awesome, Steph. Thank, Thank you, you so much. Can you just tell us a little bit about what next? I know this book, Unbound. 
Yes. You can get it on Amazon.com, but yep. also... Yeah, you can pre-order it on Amazon. Um, comes out January 24th. Um, it'll be available in the States, in Canada, in Oz, in New Zealand. I think it'll be available in the UK in February. Awesome. And yeah, you can you can get it there. You can find me at StephJagger.com. Um, I'm all... I dig, dig Instagram hard. Um, so you can find me on Instagram at StephJagger. And I love to interact with people there. And and that's that's it. And in regards to what's next. Are, are um, you going on a book tour? Can people find yeah, you in certain Yeah, cities? absolutely. There's going to be a book tour. There's about 15 cities. Um, LA, Santa Cruz, San Fran, Seattle, Portland. There's a whole bunch of stuff. So that, that information will be, you know, all up on the site. And I'll be traveling around. And I'd love for people to come out and, and see me and talk to me and ask questions. I dig that that part of the experience. And there might just be a Wild Adventures Steph Jagger retreat coming up down there the could line. Be, there could be retreats. No, Yeah. And um, for sure, there'll be more books. I've got I've got at least two kind of in my noggin. So we'll, we'll be sitting down and getting disciplined and writing some more soon. Well, thank you again so much. Check out StephJagger.com. The book is called Unbound. U-N-B-O-U-N-D. You can buy it or pre-purchase it at Amazon.com. I highly recommend it. Steph, thanks so much for coming. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. It's been great. All right. We'll see you kids later. I hope you all enjoyed episode one of Wild Ideas Worth Living. We'll have a link on wildideasworthliving.com to pre-order Steph's book, Unbound. You can also sign up for the Wild Ideas Worth Living newsletter, where I will be sharing things maybe we forgot to talk about during the show, tips my guests are trying, wild ideas I'm trying, and healthy recipes you can try at home right now that are really easy to make. Stay tuned for episode two next week, where we interview Pete Kostelnik. Pete broke a record running from San Francisco to New York, and he trained while working a full-time job. You're going to find out how next week, and don't forget, comment on social media, on iTunes, on the blog. I love feedback. This is a wild adventure for me, and thank you for joining me. Don't forget, the most wild ideas can lead to the best adventures in life. <laughs>